Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Since 2010, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from top experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on the radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. As the announcer mentioned, uh, you can uh, call in and ask questions of our guest today at uh, 347-324-3080. You can also email me your questions at tedhart at tedhart.com. We are also uh, streaming live over on Facebook today at facebook.com forward slash tedhart. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, uh, we start with page one news. Over here on page one, we have uh, Stephen Nill from Charity Channel Press uh, with us today. And uh, the reason that we have uh, Stephen with us is because he's actually going to help me introduce uh, our guest today because we've got a superstar today who's got a fantastic uh, new book out. So welcome back to the Nonprofit Coach, Stephen Nill. Ted, it's great to be here. Thank you. Now, you uh, and the folks at Charity Channel Press have uh, worked together uh, with Julia Campbell. Um, and because this is such uh, an important topic, particularly I think this time of year as we're coming in uh, to the holidays, as always, I think our, our producer, Diane Peach, has just timed this perfectly um, uh, in uh, making sure that uh, my listeners uh, have an opportunity to really learn from Julia. So I'm going to let you take it away, and we do have Julia waiting. Um, so if you'd like to introduce her, we can bring her uh, right into the show and get right into our topic today. So, Stephen, take it away. I'd love to. I'd love to. Thanks, Ted. Um, I've been working with Julia. Julia, it's been a couple of years, I think, since we started, and um, I've got to uh, experience uh, with you the, 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 the writing process and the editing process or your book that just came out, published, I'm pleased to say, by Charity Channel Press, as Ted mentioned, Storytelling in the Digital Age, a Guide for Nonprofits. Um, I, uh, I love this book 
because it's the only one I'm aware of that just gets right into the nexus between storytelling, which is as old as mankind, and the digital age and nonprofits. And it talks in plain language about um, how to conduct um, a storytelling campaign uh, on the on the internet in a way that it doesn't really matter how much experience you bring to the table because once you've read the book you're going to know how to go about doing it and I'll, and I'll mention before I introduce Julia that the book is doing so well that Charity Channel is now collaborating with Julia to create an upcoming online course which we're calling 60 day digital storytelling campaign blueprint and Ted you might want to ask Julia about that course um, it's super exciting. Well, she, Nothing is out there like it. Yeah. 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 That, so, that's very, very exciting. We'll make sure that uh, we get her to tell us about that course as well. Perfect. So let me mention too that um, uh, Julia was featured as one of 30 masters of fundraising along with you, of course, Ted, in the recent Charity Channel's Masters of Fundraising Summit that was held September 25. Through October 6th, and it's it was, to my knowledge, the, the largest, most extensive online series of master classes taught by masters of fundraising. And Ted, I was really thrilled that you were there as well. So Julia is truly at the top of her game. Um, she has, um, besides writing the book and doing the course, she has a long history of helping nonprofits learn how to use the latest marketing and fundraising tools. And after 10 years in the nonprofit sector as a development director and um, in marketing, she founded J. Campbell Social Marketing, which is a boutique digital marketing agency based in Wenham, Massachusetts. And I'll tell you that she is so busy that it's, it's, it's always a treat when I could actually get her on the phone because she is always with a client, just an amazing powerhouse. Um, Julia received her bachelor's degree in journalism and communications from Boston University. Um, and has a master's in public administration from Old Dominion University, and of course she has a, you know, a slew of other um, educational um, stellar achievements that I don't have time to get into here. So um, I've talked long enough. I'd love to hear uh, hear uh, her come on and Ted take it away. I'd love to hear what she has to say. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's go right on over to uh, page two. Welcome, uh, Julia. Uh, and uh, Steve, if you want to stay with us for, for a little bit no. before you have to go, uh, we can properly sure. uh, greet Julia uh, together. So let's, uh, let's run on over to page two. We're over here with our page two expert, Julia Campbell. Uh, Stephen Neal is still with us, but uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Julia here to the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here, and thank you, Stephen, for that really, really very nice and generous introduction. That was very nice, but I also know that he was telling the truth uh, about how busy you are and uh, uh, how uh, uh, it's not. it was not very easy to necessarily find the right slot for you here uh, on the nonprofit coach, so I want to thank you for sort of bending your schedule uh, to meet ours uh, because, uh, Julia, I think it is particularly timely 
uh, for us to be speaking to our audience today about storytelling. Uh, mm-hmm. as, as Stephen mentioned, storytelling in the digital age has a very specific place. But it also, Julian, I'm, I'm just going to tee this up and, and let you sort of introduce uh, mm-hmm. the topic here. It also, even though we're you know we're we're nearly two decades into the use of the internet by nonprofit organizations, um, it is still a mystery of how to get that right. And the positioning of storytelling, I'm hoping, helps people understand. Um, how it's different than just a direct mail. So Absolutely. Help, help so, us understand what, what's different, different in the digital age. Right. Well, when I wrote this book, just to back up, is it, I wanted to address exactly what you're talking about because what I have found, and I talked about it in the book, and I've talked to Stephen a lot about it, is that nonprofits tend to go tools first. So they tend to want to tweet first without knowing what they're saying, without having a plan, without really having buy-in, without having the context and the emotional connection and the story, the arsenal of stories kind of built up. So mm-hmm. my book actually covers all about storytelling, making the case at your organization, building up your storytelling arsenal, um, what kind of stories do you need to tell? What kind of places can you find these stories? What, how can you tell these stories that will get people from passive to active? Doing all of this research in the beginning and really creating this firm base and this infrastructure for your digital campaign. And then the um, third part of the book is all about the tools. So it's not a book that's going to say, okay, go on Facebook and post this or go on Twitter and post this. It's more an overview of how to use your website, how to use your mobile strategy, how to use your blog, how to really evaluate which tools you should be using, which tools tend to work best for what kind of story, that kind of thing. But I didn't want to go tools first because I do feel like a lot of my clients run into that trap where they say I want to start a blog I want to start a Facebook page I want to do a fundraising campaign and this is before they've even told me what their mission is what they're trying to achieve does it fit into their overall marketing goals and their strategic planning goals who's their audience and all that kind of thing so the book really walks um, a nonprofit practitioner through that Right, even even before they're probably even conscious of the need to think through those. I mean, one of the things, as I read through your, your book, which is really excellent, and all of my listeners really need to have this book uh, in, in, their, uh, in, in their arsenal here. What I like about it, and, and you kind of alluded to it, is that this is not sort of a cut-and-paste book, which I really love. It's right. really sort of like a cookbook. Right. Um, it's really oh. like these are the ingredients oh. that you need, um, and you're sort of the chef. Um, sort of the the master chef here uh, who is saying, you know, come to my cooking class and I'm going to help you understand how to use all of these ingredients uh, for your table Um, because there isn't just one way of serving that meal. And in your case, there isn't just one way to use Twitter. There isn't just one way to use email or social media. Um, Mm -hmm. So is that sort of the right way for someone to approach this book? Exactly. It's funny you said that because Roger Craver of The Agitator, who I'm sure you know, really well-respected blogger and fundraising expert, he, now it's 
crazy that he did this. He compared storytelling in the digital age to Mastering the Art of French Cooking by Julia Child, which is one of my absolute favorite books of all time. Clearly, I don't think it's going to go in the annals of history quite like that book, but maybe it will. I don't know. But he compared it. um, He used the exact same metaphor that it's not a cut and paste book. It's not saying um, this is exactly the way your nonprofit needs to use this tool and you need to tweet five times a day and you need to post on Facebook and you need to be on Instagram and you need to do this, 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 and this. The other thing I tried to do with this book is I really tried to address some of the common challenges, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that, um, to Mm -hmm. really help it be relevant to nonprofits of all sizes, but also uh, in all industries with different audiences and addressing different social causes. That's right. That's right. So um, can we start off by, again, going back to um, sort of this food metaphor that maybe will work for our audience? Because I, I think in a lot of ways, um, our audience is hoping that they're going to get, they're going to see the fast food menu, um, that they're going right. to be able to sort of order up number one, and that's going to then equal a certain number of dollars. But if I do, you know, uh, menu number four, I guess a certain number of dollars. That's not the case. This is, um, is as I guess Roger Craver said, this is much more sort of like the art of cooking. You know, this is this is really about sort of you know high cuisine. Um, so what are mm-hmm. what are the ingredients? that are available to my listeners as they're starting to think about what they're going to put on the menu? I think the most important place to start, it's sort of like if you have the right tools, you can't really start if you don't have the right tools. And that would really be your plan. Now I do Uh a lot of talking in the book about goals and objectives and finding a target audience. And that might seem intimidating, but the reason I do that is because you can't figure out what you're going to put in your dish. If you don't know what you're making, like you don't know if you go to the store and you try to buy things off the shelf without knowing the end result that you want to create, it's not going to work. So I, I encourage people really to do some planning and think about what does success look like for you? Why are you doing digital storytelling? Why are you using these tools? How is this fitting in with your plan? And then even just writing out a one page plan of this is our goal. You know, okay, we're raising awareness. What does that look like? What does, what does that mean? What does success mean in terms of raising awareness? Or we want to use stories to raise more funds at year end. Okay. What does that look like? How are we going to do that? So I think, really focusing on the goals and then we move on to the strategy which includes the different items that you're going to need to purchase and then how you use them i guess would be the measurement mm-hmm. and and kind of putting them all together that's so right. i like that that's metaphor. Right. yeah i do i do as well and and one of the things that that i really um you know like about your book is that you put the emphasis on storytelling in the context of the use of sort of digital media and and social media. And this is something that we've talked about on this show many, many times because um, as as you sort of start out, you know, what's the outcome? And and I think a lot of my listeners would jump to, well, we need more money. So we need these people to click through and we need them to to make a donation. And and of course that's that's always the case. But my response to that is often sort of like, well, get in line, because so does right. everybody else. But, right. but 
that that can't just be the only outcome because you're not thinking long term. And if you're going to be successful, and this is, and I, I want to ask you to sort of you know weigh in on this. One of the things that mm-hmm. I've told my my audience so many times is that if you want to be engaged, if you're going to be engaged in social media, you have to be prepared to be social. Yeah. And that concept in and of itself sort of you know breaks out sort of the you know. Uh, men from the boys here because it really, uh, you know, the women from the girls, uh, because yep. if you're going to step up and you want to use these tools, so you said we start off with, with these tools, you need to mm-hmm. understand the unique nature of these tools because exactly. the other thing that I've shared with my audience many times is that email is not just electronic direct mail. Understand the right. difference. So, so if you agree with those concepts that you really have to be social and email is not electronic direct mail, help my, my audience understand why those are truisms and how does that tie back to the cookbook that you've prepared for us. Absolutely. So the myth we were sold about social media is that we would all get on Facebook and we would send out a couple of tweets a week and the donations would just kind of pour in. That's the myth a lot of people have been sold and that's the myth businesses have been sold and entrepreneurs and nonprofits and pretty much everyone using social media for, to raise money or raise revenue. So the way I come at it is that no one owes your nonprofit anything. And that's hard to hear. And I, I do a lot of real talk in a lot of my trainings and in the book and with my clients in trying to explain that, especially on social media, no one owes you anything. No one owes you a click or a like or a share or a view. You have to earn it. You have to 100% earn that attention. And attention is at a premium. Okay, money and donations are at a premium, but attention is at an absolute premium now. And the best way to grab attention is, first of all, to use stories, but secondly, to show your audience what you are doing, like to give your audience what they want and not what you want. And the two biggest questions the donors always have, I don't care if they give online or they give it at an event or if they write a check every year, is one, is my donation making a difference? Is my $10, $100, $500, whatever it is, is it making a difference and is it impacting meaningful change? towards something that I care about. Those are the only and two how, questions your donors are asking. And how can and I stories will really help illuminate that for them. That's right. So tie that again back to this cookbook, back to what storytelling mm-hmm. means, because I absolutely agree with you. Those are those are sort of the, 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 the true key outputs that you're looking for. It's not just the money. We all need money. Every nonprofit needs money. Um, so that's sort of a given. That, that's kind of the, the, the baseline that we all start with. So that doesn't set you apart. But what you're talking about is in a, an informative yet storytelling way, mm-hmm. fill in the blanks. So how do we do well, that? I think we need to start thinking about fundraising in terms of campaigns. And that's what I talk about when I talk about planning a storytelling campaign. So clearly – all day, every day, development directors think, how can I raise X number of dollars, you know, to meet the goals? And I want the readers to know that I have 
the readers, the listeners, and the readers to know that I've been there. I have been a one-person development marketing shop. I've worked for small nonprofits. I've been responsible for the bottom line. I completely know what you're going through and all of these shiny tools and everything coming at you, and it's really hard to decipher what's important and prioritize. Um, But I, I also think that if you aren't willing to tell these stories of impact about your organization. I mean, you can tell stories about your staff members. That's fine. You can tell behind the scenes stories. You can tell stories of volunteers. You can tell stories of community members. Just making sure that you have kind of a wide variety of stories that you're telling because the other great thing about stories in terms of fundraising and raising awareness is that they help fill in the knowledge gaps for people about the cause and about your organization. So your organization Mm -hmm. is going up against some pretty big, you know, they're going up against probably emergency relief. If you're not an emergency relief organization, maybe your nonprofit is really small. It's not in the news a lot. Maybe it's not a cause that is particularly polarizing. So you don't get a lot of rage donations and that kind of thing. You have to really think about what's going to set you apart and what's going to make your nonprofit seen. And I feel like storytelling is the best way to easily convey your mission, your impact, your accomplishments, everything that you're doing, and then fill in those gaps for people that might be skeptical and might sort of have, you know, they might have some challenges that they're trying to overcome with choosing where to make their donation this year. And what, how I feel that nonprofits go wrong using digital tools is that, like you said before, they don't use them socially. They use them like a billboard. They use them like purchasing an ad in the New York Times or in the local paper. They use them just kind of pushing out information. Come to our event. Donate to this. Volunteer for this. Sign up for this. But they don't really look back and think about what the audience wants and then also how to use these tools to really – entice like a conversation between the nonprofit and their supporters. Exactly. So how, how do you bridge that gap and how do you um, help my listeners uh, today understand what is storytelling versus this sort of, well, I post a lot. Um, right. And I try to post a lot of content or I respond to, um, you know, tweets or, I, or, or we have a Twitter account. Right. Is that the same thing? There has to be a balance because I do understand that a lot of organizations have many programs and many initiatives, many events, and they need to get the word out about them. However, there has to be a balance in terms of what your audience wants to see. So you really are dealing with two audiences when you're online. The number, the two most popular goals that I always work with with my clients, we're just going to lump everybody into these two buckets, is we want to raise awareness and we want to raise money. We want to reach new donors. You have to really dig a little bit deeper. What does raise money mean? Because major gift giving is much different. You're not going to run a Facebook ad campaign to get $10,000 donations. When you're talking about using social media for fundraising, you're talking about reaching new donors, reaching younger donors, reaching online donors, and also raising awareness about your cause, about your organization, so that it's easier to then fundraise later on down the line. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. between those two audiences, 
And so you really have those two audiences, people that know you and love you, people that don't know you but might love you, um, and then everything else that you want to be pushing out about your events and, and your organization. What I've found in the last few years especially, there's sort of been a shift in social media, and there's also been a huge shift in how I teach and talk about social media. So I used to say that you would be fine if you just posted some behind the scenes photos, if you posted, you know, maybe your founder story, if you just shared a little bit of human interest in your posts. Now I think you really need to do that with almost every single post. So boring That's and right. bland posts, they don't work on social media since it's such a crowded landscape right now. I mean, how many people, 3 billion people are on Facebook right now or 1 billion people right. or almost two, how, whatever it is, yeah. it's a huge percentage yeah. of the planet posting photos and videos, huge percentage of nonprofits and businesses have Facebook pages. If we're just talking about Facebook, let alone all of the other channels we could be talking about. And That's right. That's you right. need but, to but I think it's significant stand out you, in some way. But I think it is significant that you sort of started with Facebook. So tell me why you started with with Facebook and where you think that fits within uh, a healthy social media campaign. It's interesting. I have many opinions about Facebook, but I think that it's um, a network that most nonprofits are pretty familiar with because of how many people use it in their personal lives. So it's an interface and a platform that they are are fairly familiar with. Also, it's it's a shift. It's shifting to an older demographic on Facebook now. Uh, I met an 18 and a half year old, and I just was telling my friends about this the other day. She didn't even know what Facebook was. She was looking at my phone um, over my shoulder, and I was on Facebook on the train, and she said, "What is that? What is that? What is that social network?" And I said, "That's Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the most popular social network in the world." She was 18, so. Right. It completely depends very, on your audience. But for most of us, we're targeting right. people in midlife. We're targeting boomers, and the social network that they predominantly use is Facebook. And I also just think it's the most comfortable um, because it's been around the longest, and it's sort of the most widely known. So mm-hmm. you really have to evaluate your goals and your audience. So someone like do something.org or the organization to write love on her arms um, that deals with preventing suicide. Those are organizations that are targeting youth and younger demographics. So they would probably want to expand outside of Facebook a little bit, but just based on popularity, based on ease of use, based on how people are familiar with it now and they understand that nonprofits are on it and they know how to register for events, they know how to click on links, they are, are pretty comfortable with the platform and they feel safe on it. That's why I just tend to think that organizations can leverage it. Well, and I think in terms of leveraging, so let me just share some details because I think you're right. And anecdotally, those of us who either have – uh, uh, children in a younger, you know, uh, age group that you're talking about, mm-hmm. or a little bit older. Um, you know, I think anecdotally we know that their attention. I mean, I know for my my children, their attention is much more sort of on Instagram or Snapchat um, yep. and programs like that, um, and much less on Facebook than it used to be. Um, however, yep. and we'll, we uh, we'll post this. Uh, over on Facebook for everyone. Uh, the demographics that are shared widely by Facebook is, uh, first of all, that, that they have reached 
1.5 billion monthly users. So as you said, wow. um, that, that's a huge uh, audience. Um, and they're saying that they have more than uh, 1.09 billion daily users. So, mm -hmm. um, so that, that's significant. Um, they also um, are 76% of all female identified U.S. Internet users use Facebook. 66% wow. of male identified Internet users use Facebook. Um, but they're also saying that the largest demographic on Facebook um, are ages 25 to 34, which is a prime target demographic for marketers. So, so exactly. within that prime, uh, age prime that, target, you know, prime prime target, and they're saying that 82% of 18 to 29-year-olds use Facebook. But I think it's it's also it's a shifting demographic, and it's one that is less um, saturation. Um, because I think that while it's likely, as they're showing, I don't think there's any reason for us to, to doubt their, their demographics here, um, it is certainly an audience that is becoming more diverse. Uh, but Facebook mm -hmm. also owns Instagram. So, yep. um, so what, what, you know, what is sort of the Facebook universe is much greater than just the use of Facebook. So I think, I think that's yep. uh, important. Um, so, Julia, we're going to take a, a very quick break, and when we come back, okay. Um, I do want I do want to get back to sort of the the cookbook and preparing specifically preparing our listeners uh, for uh, for their their fall and and holiday campaigns and will be okay. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And I just want to draw your attention. Please grab your, your calendars uh, that The uh, Nonprofit Coach uh, will be uh, live uh, in two weeks on November 7th. Uh, and Laura Fredericks uh, will be um, our uh, our guest uh, on that day. And of course, uh, uh, Laura is a, a well-known consultant, speaker, uh, and expert in uh, in fundraising, and also uh, an attorney. And so our topic is going to be ask the expert uh, on November seventh. So uh, we're back here live uh, with Julia Campbell. Um, her new terrific book is Storytelling in the Digital Age, uh, a guide for nonprofits, although I, I might refer to it as a cookbook for nonprofits, um, <laughs> because, again, we're talking about you've got lots of options. You've got limited time. You still need to serve up that meal. So uh, walk us through what should my audience be doing between now and the holidays to move the ball down the field and to be more successful and I guess storytelling equals learning how to be more social. Sure. You know, I'm going to uh, quickly uh, ask if, Julia, do you feel like this is a place where you could talk about the, the storytelling campaign concept that, that sure. you're pioneering? Uh, yeah. That's great. That's yes. great timing, Stephen. Thank you. Yes. So I'm actually working with two clients on Giving Tuesday campaigns or at least year-end campaigns that are going to start on Giving Tuesday, and some of the ingredients that go into a successful campaign like that, first of all, you need a start date and an end date. So when I talk about preparing a campaign, 
the first part of the 60-day campaign is, first of all, collecting, you know, figuring out when you're going to launch your campaign and putting it in gold Sharpie on your calendar, making sure that it's at least 60 days from now. So my formula is not really going to work. If you want to start a giving Tuesday campaign, you're going to have to cut everything in half. Cause of course, giving Tuesday is right, right around the corner. Um, right, but, but it would definitely work. Right. Yeah, it yeah, would work. It, it would work. Um, like elements of it will work. If you are, um, already planning a campaign or if you have something in, in process. So some ingredients that you can take from it are creating a group of storytelling ambassadors and getting them um, enlisted, getting them catalyzed, and giving them the material. So what do I mean? You can do it two different ways. And one of the ways that I'm working with my clients is they have a group of so-called quote-unquote influencers, which is not a word that I like very much, but it's hard to pick a different word. It's people that are influential in the target audience that they're going after. So they're targeting the military community for this particular campaign. And it's bloggers, it's people that have radio shows, it's podcasters, it's people that would make sense to help them spread the word and help tell the stories about the campaign and help them really raise money at the end of the day, but really spread the word. And then once we've identified this group of people, then we have to create the social media toolkit for them, which is another huge element of the campaign where you create all the digital assets for them. So you really write the tweets for them, write a sample Facebook post, make visuals. If you have a video, you share the video file and you give them all the information and tell them exactly what to do with it. So where I think a lot of organizations kind of fall flat, especially on Giving Tuesday or with year-end holiday giving, is that they just sort of send out an email to everybody and say, hey, everyone, please tweet about this. Or, hey, everybody, we're going to do a Giving Tuesday campaign. Could you share something? They don't really have a targeted group of people that they're asking no one's really being held accountable. They're not really explaining exactly what they want people to do. So the more specific that you can get with your instructions, especially around this, and the smaller, more targeted group of people that you can use and really use them as your storytelling ambassadors to get the word out um, about the campaign and about the stories that you're going to share during the campaign, that is an absolutely key ingredient I found to success, especially with a small nonprofit that has one marketing person, one development person. So a huge part of the campaign that, that, is getting that, the right the people in place. Right. Uh, if they're right. lucky, if that, that's not the same person. Uh, so right. but this is, this all so sounds familiar, right, Julia? I mean, this is, yep. so put this in the context of um, sort of a traditional fundraising campaign or a major gift campaign or a capital yep. campaign or even uh, a fundraising campaign, you know, pre-internet. The first right. thing that any right. really good development officer would do is to find out who in their community has influence, um, yep. who has a Rolodex, who can make phone calls, who can invite people to their home, um, and people who might make a contribution themselves. So yes. I, I think what's so brilliant about your cookbook and what you bring people together, and in your book you refer to them as super fans, um, is yes. to pay attention to your own social media network, whether it's small or it's large, 
uh, in terms of who has chosen to join your community and what do you know about them? Well, that, that's just that sort of fundraising 101, that's development 101, is to pay yeah. attention to who likes you, who lots of other exactly. people listen to. So um, if right. they post something, you know, pay attention. Someone posts a photo, okay, and they, that photo has nothing to do with you, but they're part of your network. They said that they like you. Uh, maybe they've even tweeted about you in the past or, or they have uh, posted something that you've asked them to post in the past. But when they post something, you know, they get 500 likes, okay? Mm-hmm. And you post something and you get 25 likes, including your mom, okay? And, right. And so weigh those, those two differences. You have a super fan who has an audience, what you're asking them to do is include your message um, to the people who rely on them. They're going to know how to engage their own audience much better than you. But if you've never done the homework, if you haven't taken a look at your various uh, social media outlets, so I think back to your point is Facebook is significant and Facebook is large, and I think it's, it's, it's arguable that you would be making a mistake to ignore Facebook. Mm-hmm. But you also should be paying attention to who is in your audience? Do they have a larger voice on Instagram? Do they have a, you know, a larger voice on, on another social media platform? And do you have a small voice there? Can you exactly. borrow part of their voice? Will they lend part of their voice? And that's, is, that's what you're talking about here, right? But, but, it, it, but it is sort of going back to basics and understanding that it always worked, it still works, but you've got to do the groundwork. You've got to do the prep. You're never mm-hmm. going to meet your own um, uh, potential if you're the one who's posting everything. If you're the one who's sending out every single email, you're yep. speaking to a very limited audience, and you're failing to understand the social aspect of social media. So I said a right. lot there, but un- unpack that and tell me where that fits because it seems to me – that that's the crux of your book. Yes. So talk about going back to the basics. I mean, the very basic nature of human communication is all around stories. And that's how we communicate. That's how we remember things. Think about all the best speakers you've seen. Think about some great TED Talks that you've seen. Think about if you're just meeting a friend for coffee or when your partner comes home after a long day, or if you're talking to your children about a complicated concept, stories. That's how human brains process information. Um, So really that gets back to the very basics of human communication. But the principles of fundraising, I think, have gotten lost in our just fervor and our hysteria around social media tools. So social media and digital tools have completely, utterly revolutionized the way humans communicate, the way we learn information, the way we look for information, the way we share things that matter to us, the way we express our values. That's true. But the principles, especially the principles of fundraising, remain 100% the same. It's all about relationships. It's about building trust. It's about being authentic. And it's just getting the right message to the right people at the right time. That's the basic principle of marketing. And it's one of the basic principles of effective fundraising. And that's what I try to convey in my book is that storytelling and social media, those are trendy terms right now. But building those relationships and cultivating those relationships, using these tools, 
um, just use the tools as a means to an end. The tools are not an end in itself. That makes sense. I did want to add something else about working with the storytelling ambassadors, influencers, champions, whatever you want to call them. Just make sure that you're very thoughtful and strategic about it. What I think happens is that organizations say, oh, I want Justin Bieber to tweet about this, or I want Ellen to tweet about it. That's, you know, let's keep our expectations in check. If you're a small local organization, you're probably, like, if you're a very tiny organization serving a very small like town, you're probably not going to get one of the Celtics or one of the Patriots to tweet for you. Maybe you will if you have a connection, but it has to be relevant and you have to be just very thoughtful and strategic about who you approach and how you approach them and make sure they're not feeling used. Make sure that it's a win-win for everyone. Make sure that it's a cause that they care about. It's a way that they can be making a difference and that you're really thanking them and just cultivating them because you don't want it to be this one-off relationship. You really want to build right. um, a long-term relationship with these people. That's right. And if you want to shoot that, that high, Julie, I think it's, it's appropriate to ask yourself the question, okay, well, what if I wanted someone from the Patriots to attend my annual gala? How would mm-hmm. I go about that? Are they going to attend my gala because I send them uh, a, an invitation in the mail? Well, probably not. Right. So you're, you're going to need to think about, you know, how many degrees of separation do you have between yourself and that person? Who can make the ask? Because it's probably not going to be you. And yep. that's the same thing in social media. You want my Aunt Mabel to make a contribution to your organization. Chances yep. are you asking my Aunt Mabel is not going to get that contribution. But exactly. if you inspire me... And, and I say, Aunt Mabel, I'm giving, and I'd really love it if you did because I know you care about the same things I care about. You've got a much better chance of Aunt Mabel caring enough to make a contribution than if you maybe yep. ask yourself because you're very easy to ignore. And that's why the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge works so well. I, I'm assuming that your, re, your viewers are or your viewers. I keep saying viewers and readers, listeners. I'm sure everyone that is listening, viewing this on Facebook Live are are familiar with the Ice Bucket Challenge. We were probably all challenged to do it. We read about it, but that's why it worked. We've covered it it extensively on the show. People asking other people. And I think going back to the campaign concept, um, and actually I'm really honest to God working on this today with a client. We're talking about the campaign launch, and I'm saying launch day, you need to have everybody in place. And I'm talking about everyone posting on social media, not just this particular organization, all of your influencers, anyone that you can get posting about it. So it's not just you talking about it. And then encourage, you know, getting really excited about it. But also there's all these other components, making phone calls, you know, maybe having an in-person launch event to launch your campaign, Uh, maybe having a virtual event, maybe doing a Facebook Live video. Um, There's all sorts of different components that you can use when you're launching your campaign. There does have to be that sense of this is exciting, this is new, this is urgent. What I see organizations doing at year-end is they do send out the direct mail appeal. I would never suggest that they don't do that. Um, I know that brings in a lot of money and it's a pretty reliable source of income 
and revenue for organizations. So if it's working, I would never suggest to stop doing it. But also if you just send one letter and you're not using all of these other channels at your disposal, I think that's a missed opportunity because usually, honestly, when I get a letter in the mail, I might ignore it because I assume, oh, I'm going to get an email reminder about that or, oh, I'm going to see a video. I'll, I'll see them on social media. I just right. assume and, that I'm going to get more sure touch points. Right. That's so right. Yeah, I think all of these, all of these elements need to be coming together when you launch your campaign. Marketing needs to be working with fundraising. Maybe it's the same person. But regardless, everyone needs to be on the same page. You know, when are we going to um, do this Facebook Live video interview with the executive director to launch Giving Tuesday? Is it, it shouldn't be the same day maybe that this other appeal goes out for the annual gala. So just making sure that all your ducks in a row and looking at your calendar. And that's why I love the campaign model, because if you plan your campaign in 60 days, then you know you know, you know what needs to be off the table or you can pick a chunk of 60 days when there isn't too much happening. I mean, there's not going to be a time when there's nothing happening, but maybe it's not going to be during your big fundraising gala or some other huge event that you're doing. Right. So it's really a question of how do these different tools, as you said, these tools that are available to you, it's now a question of how do they interact with each other because it's, Mm -hmm. it's no longer either or. I think, you know, back when, you know, back in 2000 when I started the Philanthropy Foundation or, you know, back, you know, more than seven years ago when we started uh, this radio show, you know, we were talking about sort of the future state of the use of the Internet, use of digital media. But that, Julia, that ship has sailed. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that is now in the rearview mirror. And now the question is not, you know, will you engage in social media? Um, if that is your question, then you're definitely behind the, the eight ball. Um, mm-hmm. But it's how do the various tools work together, including, you know, human touch of mm-hmm. you know, phone calls and personal visits. Handwritten interacting notes. With yep, always work. Direct mail. Yeah, and interacting with, with digital media. So, so we're now talking about a, a completely different matrix of interaction. And you noted it yourself when someone says to themselves, oh, I got this direct mail letter. Maybe I care. I don't have time to deal with it right now. But, oh, I'm sure that I'm going to get an email on that or I'm sure that that's going to, you know, show up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can't deal with it today. But, I, I, you know, I'm, I've trained myself to not worry about that or care yep. about that because I know a well-run campaign is going to be on multiple platforms. True or false? Right. And the different components, I mean, the, the sort of the internet hierarchy of needs really at the top is your website. So people get right. very hung up on, should we do a Snapchat campaign? Should we buy Instagram ads? Should we be posting in LinkedIn groups? And I say, well, how is your website? What is your website look like because that is your most important fundraising collateral because honestly what if I hear a story about you on blog talk radio what if I hear a story about you on NPR what if I you know hear someone talking about you in the grocery store I'm going to google you I'm going to either ask my phone or Alexa whatever device I have to look up your organization and if I can't find the information that I'm looking for on your website easily and quickly I'm going to leave and probably never return to your website just because people get very busy. Your website has to be designed for your visitor. Um, And it also has to have a way to kind of collect people's information 
which would be right. email address, hopefully, get our updates, right. read more of our stories, connect with us, however you want to phrase it. I really believe that website and email, I know everyone says they hate email, but what is the first thing all of us did this morning? If we're honestly going to be real about it, we all checked our email okay. first thing this morning. Check I checked the weather exactly. first thing this morning for some reason, but I, then I checked my email. So email is still huge. And think about how much more intimate email is than social media. Email is like your inbox. Like you don't give your email out to just anybody, especially nowadays. It's much more of an intimate relationship. So if someone's giving you their email, you need to be a good steward of that email and send them relevant, interesting information. Um, That's right. I think that's absolutely. And and Julia, but you've also, you've now sort of brought us to, you know, this discussion of of various platforms. And, you know, one of the things that our listeners should certainly understand is there's something else that's in that rearview mirror, and that is the number of global users of mobile versus desktop, uh, mobile yes. surpassed desktop back in 2013, 2014. Um, yep. So, so yep. that's in the rearview mirror. So um, you're absolutely right in bringing up website, but when we are mentioning website, what we really mean is your your uh, your mobile enabled website, um, mm-hmm. your website for the desktop. Because just as, you know, online and offline tools need to work together, certainly mobile and desktop need to be working together. And for yes. your, your potential donor, for your new listener, for your new user, they do not differentiate between the two. And if you are, no. if, if, if you're not providing uh, a very good experience in both places, you're losing an audience. Exactly. And I talk in the book a little bit about how to create a mobile strategy, but they really are completely synonymous now. So the way that I think about it in the frame of the book is that the story is what catches someone's attention. And then the call to action is what you ask them to do when you have that attention. And if people are consuming this content and reading your story on a mobile device, I really encourage organizations to look more into text to give and mobile giving because I've seen this in the UK. I've seen this in organizations. I don't know why the US is so slow to get on the text to give bandwagon. But think about it. If I'm reading a really great story on Instagram and I have to then click to the website and go fill out a form and enter all my credit card information and do, I'm not going to do that. That's going to take 20 minutes. Or if I see I'm reading this story, I feel so passionately about this organization. I now really want to get invested. And it says text the word love to, you know, whatever, 202. And to make a $10 donation, I'm much more likely to do that. So I think that the, the tools, we have to keep up with the way people are using and consuming online content. And we are just not keeping up in the States. I don't know. The Humane Society does text to give really well. I've seen them using it all over social media. So what I encourage organizations to do is think about everything like an ecosystem, whereas the story is really the gold. It's like the content. It's the, it's the meat of what you're doing. It's getting someone interested and excited and it's taking someone from passive to active and then what are you asking them to do are you asking them to make an online donation or sign a petition or text a donation what are you doing with that attention and all of these tools they can't operate in a vacuum 
And what is that call to action? You know, what what is what it is the call to action? You? Right? I, you, 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 you've, got, you've got that few moments, not even a few minutes, but the, that few moments where I'm, I'm listening, I'm paying attention, mm-hmm. um, I mm-hmm. care enough to have clicked through, I care enough to have gone to your mobile site or to your, your desktop site. What do you want me to do? And, and, and if that what you want me to do in that moment is seriously the only thing that you can think of is to ask me for a gift, you're missing right. the point. You're not being social. Again, going back to where we started today and, and where you started you know, with this book about uh, storytelling is that if all you're going to do is ask for money, again, get in line because mm-hmm. there are lots and lots of organizations that need the money. But some organizations are doing an outstanding job of telling the story of why your money matters, of yes. how you can make a difference, of how you can connect um, in a way with other people who care about that. Well, that's far more uh, uh, noteworthy, um, and that is going to draw me in uh, to, um, you know, to, to what I'm looking for mm-hmm. because I mm-hmm. might want to be a part of a community. I want to hear about that story. As you said, it's the most natural human thing to do is to mm-hmm. share stories about things you, that matter to you. Exactly. I think organizations get really hung up when they hear the word story, and that's another piece of advice that I give in the book. If you want to create a culture of storytelling at your nonprofit, maybe do professional development around sharing memories or experiences. Just change the word because I do find that organizations tend to go out and they say, oh, this is so great. We're going to ask our clients for their story. And then they say, oh, but I don't have a story because people think of stories. They think of Harry Potter and Hunger Games and these epic, you know, Lord of the Rings and that kind of thing. And they get intimidated and they think, oh, well, my story's not over yet, maybe. Or I'm in the middle of this and my story doesn't have a happy ending yet. So stories don't have to be this one size fits all cookie cutter thing. It doesn't have to be. Shirley went to the food bank and got some food and got some job training and now she has a job and now she's fine. That doesn't have to be your organization's story. It could be someone that's been out of the program for 20 years and had a relapse or it could be someone, a donor. It could be a donor and why they give to your organization. I've seen fantastic things done on Giving Tuesday around gratitude and around showcasing donors. I saw a video, and I wish I remembered the organization's name. The video, if you go to YouTube, it's called Meet Bobby and Ia, I-A, and it's two perspectives. It's one person that is in this particular program, and then it's a woman that lives paycheck to paycheck, but she still gives $10 from every paycheck to this organization because she feels so strongly about helping people. So, we get hung up on, oh, we've got to you know, highlight maybe our major donors or this rich person in the community. But thinking about sharing the stories that are going to resonate with a good number of people. I mean, the $10 donor, that's a huge number of people. And if they see the story of another $10 donor and how good it makes them feel and how much of a difference it makes. So it's all about just telling the stories that are relevant to your audience, but getting out of your comfort zone a little bit and not telling the story, the hero's journey or the Pixar stories, you know, the Pixar movie um, producer wrote a fantastic book on storytelling, by the way, but we don't all have 
stories like that to tell, and some of our stories right. are, are still in and, process. And I think, and you alluded to this earlier, is you know I think sort of the 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 more gritty, the less polished, the less scripted, um, but mm-hmm. yet in manageable bites is going to be far more uh, palatable and interesting, and is going to draw more people than something that looks like it was Hollywood produced. Absolutely. And people love local stories. Those work best. I always hear right. complaints from small organizations that they're too small, you know, they can't get in front of a lot of people, they don't have good stories to tell, they can't compete with the big organizations. And I feel like giving is kind of going more local now. So if you are a local food pantry or a church or you know whatever it is that your mission is, you should be trying to use stories of people in your community. And a good example is the local YMCA where I am a member. They had a fantastic fundraising campaign where they took pictures of the members. You know, obviously we all agreed to do it. And then they put us on posters with reasons about why we give. So you go to the Y and you see these posters about why other people give and it's your neighbor or it's someone on the treadmill next to you or it's your That's teacher, right. you know, the teacher at the preschool. It was amazing. And I was thinking they could have easily done this cheesy campaign with stock photography and people that we don't know um, or celebrities, but they did. They featured the actual members and they did this amazing fundraising campaign of their stories. And I just thought that was incredibly and, effective. And it's, and it's real. Listen, Julia, I, 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 um... this is fascinating, and you really need to come back, but we only have three minutes. Oh, sure. So I did want to uh, ask you very, very quickly just to um, – we've posted, or, or Stephen has posted over on yeah. Facebook, the, the link to um, the, the um, a program that you have coming up, uh, Storytelling in the Digital Age, a guide for nonprofits, um, where our audience can uh, sign up to be notified uh, uh, once the course launches. Um, so that link is posted. We've also posted over on Facebook a bunch of the things that we talked about today regarding Facebook and mobile um, and a link to your site, uh, jcsocialmarketing.com. So I'm going to leave it to you to uh, talk to us very quickly about the free course that people can just yep. register for in two minutes um, and making sure um, that my audience knows how to reach you. Okay, so the course I'm developing is going to walk you through step-by-step, give you an actual blueprint for your organization, how to create your own digital storytelling campaign and launch it in 60 days. And it's going to go modules through, you know, every five days. So what do you need to do this five days, this five days, this five days? Calendars, templates, worksheets, brainstorming, um, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be chock full of information. But what I wanted it to be was kind of a plug and play method for organizations that really need that handheld, um, that handholding step by step guide. So I love my book. I think my book is amazing. But this is going to even be more actionable than what's in my book. So that, it's going to almost so take book my is, book and boil book it down good. to this right. is like the GPS for your digital storytelling campaign. Right. So the book is the is the cookbook, and now you're you've got the cooking class. Yes, perfect. That's such a great metaphor. You Thank go. you. <laughs> so, and how can my uh, audience uh, reach you, Julia? You've just been an outstanding guest today, and I can't thank you enough. 
Thank you. Yeah, my blog, you mentioned it. Um, I blog every week, jcsocialmarketing.com. There's a lot of great free resources on my website, and I'm always on Twitter at Julia C. Social. So join me there. Terrific. Julia Campbell, thank you for being my guest here thank today you, on the Nonprofit Coach. Stephen Neal and everyone over at Charity Channel Press, thank you for this amazing book and for the course uh, that will be coming soon. That is our show. Please join us again uh, in two weeks for the next live Nonprofit Coach. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.